listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. So this week's scripture reading will seem familiar to us. I admit that I was texting Dan last night saying, did I get it wrong? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahalan and Chilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Mahalan and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back in the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you, to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do thus to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Call me no longer. Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Kurt, for that reading. So happy Advent, everyone. Um, happy Advent. There you go. Um, I, hope, I hope you're all having um, a good holiday season. I hope Thanksgiving went well. I was, um, I was on vacation last weekend, so I didn't get to wish you all a happy turkey day, but I hope that went well and uh, that your dinner tables were devoid of any political arguments. Um, we started a new series last Sunday on the Book of Ruth, which um, shout out to Pastor Alicia, who uh, kicked us off in this uh, series. Um, she brought an excellent sermon last Sunday, uh, focusing on Ruth, and uh, Kurt, you're right, we read the exact same text today, uh, but today I want to focus on Naomi, and I want to start by getting a little nerdy. Do you, guys, do you guys mind if I get a little nerdy here in the sermon? I got, I got the thumbs up from Tom, so I'm good. Good. Um, <clears throat> so the book of Ruth, the way I think about this book is it's a love story, right? It's a, it's a romance. This is why we had uh, Alex and Nancy Bagoli light the Advent wreaths for us. Um, Alex and Nancy have been married for 65 years, which, which is amazing, amazing. Longer than Lori's been a member of our church, which is, you know, it's fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, and in fact, because the book of Ruth is a love story, uh, and we're talking about love over the next few weeks, we have invited uh, the four couples in our church who've been married the longest to light the Advent wreath over the next four Sundays. Uh, and now that I said that, you all have to do it. So Harry and Gretchen, I'm, I'm looking for you, wherever you're at. There you are. There you are. I'll, I'll get you guys. Um, but we're doing this. We're featuring these couples all month because Ruth is a love story. Uh, it's like one of those feel-good Hallmark Christmas movies, right? Where, where the, the girl moves to a new town and, uh, and she feels kind of lost, but then, then she meets a guy, and they're not sure about each other at first, but then they meet, and they fall in love while harvesting barley. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just like a Hallmark movie, right? <laughs> Mike knows where this is going. Uh, it's just going to get worse. But while this is a feel-good love story with a happy ending, it doesn't start out this way. The book of Ruth begins with tragedy, and this is where I got to get a little nerdy because the storyteller is using language to highlight the irony in this tragedy. It starts with the opening lines of the story. Let's get the opening verses uh, up on the screen. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malin and Chilion. Story begins with a famine in Bethlehem. Now, what you need to know is that names in the Bible are important. They mean something. And this is just as true with place names as with people's names. So the city of Bethlehem, where Jesus is going to be born, you know, centuries later, Bethlehem has a name that means something. Beth, the first part of the word, Beth or Beit in Hebrew, that is the Hebrew word for house. This is why um, a lot of synagogues today, a lot of Jewish houses of worship, have the word Beth in them. You know, Temple Beth El, house of God. Uh, Beth Shalom, house of peace. Beth means house. 
And Bethlehem, Bethlehem means house of bread. So there's a famine in the house of bread. Get it? Irony, right? Uh, I told you, I told you this was going to be nerdy. There's a famine in the house of bread. Um, the rabbit hole goes even deeper, though, with these names. The man we meet, Naomi's ill-fated husband, his name is Elimelech. Elimelech means God is my king. So this is a faithful Israelite family led by a faithful Israelite man. God is my king. They're the good guys, and we know what happens to the good guys in stories, right? If you're one of the good guys, if you're with God, things go well for you, but not in this story. This faithful Israelite family has to leave their home in Bethlehem, the house of bread, because there's no food. And then Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi to raise their two sons, Malin and Chilion. Their names mean something too. Malin is the Hebrew word for sick or sickly, and Chilion means frailty or frail. Sickness and frailty. Two of the worst baby names ever, <laughs> right? I think we can agree on that. But the storyteller is trying to clue us into something. They're trying to let us know that things are not going to go well for these two, and it doesn't. Malin and Chilion die. Naomi buries her husband. She buries her two sons, and she is left widowed and poor in a foreign country with her two Moabite daughters-in-law. By the way, Naomi's name, it means pleasant, which her life is not. That's an especially cruel bit of irony. Do you feel the weight of all the names and what the narrator is trying to say to us in this story? This is a dark opening act. And of course, Naomi changes her name to bitterness, Mara. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. We can almost think of Naomi as a female Job. You guys know the story of Job? Are we familiar with that? A uh, guy from the Bible who loses everything. Uh, he lost his kids, his flocks, his, his health, um, and then he sits on an ash heap debating his four friends who think it's all his fault. You guys know Job? Yeah. Naomi is like Job. She loses everything, only it is ten times worse for her because she is a woman living at a time when women have no rights. Job at least still had his property, right? Naomi couldn't own property. She wasn't allowed. In the ancient world, the only way women had any claim to property was through a male relative, and they're all gone. Naomi's not a citizen. Women did not have citizenship back then in that part of the world. She can't testify in a court of law. Naomi has nothing. And so she makes her complaint known to God and anyone else who will listen to her. Returning home to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, all of Naomi's friends are like, oh my gosh, is this Naomi? Is this our pleasant friend? And Naomi makes her beef with God clearly known. Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. God, I have lost everything, and I hold you personally responsible. 
That is Naomi's prayer, call me Mara. If you've been there, you know how this feels. It's a dark place that Naomi starts this story in. We don't typically make room for this level of bitterness in the church, not very well. Um, We don't always know what to do with friends who are in this dark of a place. We treat it almost like a, like a taboo, like it's a bad thing. Don't talk about it. Um, almost as if these emotions are off limits. Not the Bible, though. This type of raw, bitter, in-your-face anger with God where people voice their complaint boldly to their creator, this is all over the Bible. Naomi, Job, the Psalms. I think of Jesus on the cross saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible is very comfortable with this. It makes room for this level of darkness. Naomi starts the story in a place of deep bitterness, and she has every right to be bitter. She's angry, she's hurt, she's in mourning, she's desperate. Naomi is bitter, and she has every right to be. If you remember nothing else from this message, I hope you'll remember that it is okay to be bitter in times of suffering. No one criticizes Naomi for her bitterness. No one corrects her for it, right? Her friends aren't like, oh, they're there, it's not, it's not that bad. There's, there's no effort by the storyteller to put her in the wrong. Naomi's feelings are valid. She has every right to be as bitter and angry as she needs to be given her circumstances. She doesn't stay in that place of deep bitterness. She doesn't live there forever. Uh, And in fact, Naomi actually has quite an arc on this story as she partners with Ruth and really partners with God to survive and eventually thrive. But we're not at that part of the story yet. We're in the first act. We're not at the happy ending yet, and that is okay. Bitterness at this point of the story is appropriate. It's just where Naomi needs to be. The Bible has room for that. You might be in a dark place right now. You might be bitter. Maybe you've endured some sort of sickness or tragedy. Maybe you're feeling angry, hurt, and alone. That is not a character flaw. Those feelings are valid. That does not reflect poorly on you. God has room for your bitterness. The holidays can be an especially hard time when we're in a dark place. Amen? Amen. Uh, when everything is happy and bright, cheerful, people are, are singing and celebrating, to be surrounded by all of that when you're going through one of the hardest times in your life, it's not easy. The holidays are not easy if you're estranged from your family. Uh, It hits especially hard for those who've lost someone. You don't watch Hallmark movies when your heart is broken, right? And Naomi's story is a reminder to us that God has room for all of that. You don't have to hide it away and pretend that everything is fine. You don't have to look good on the outside when you're falling apart on the inside, and we especially don't have to fake it during the season of Advent. Advent, this time of the year when we wait for the arrival of our Savior, it happens to fall during the darkest, coldest time of the year. That's by design. 
right? Like, we, we light candles because it's dark outside and cold. There's a reason that my ancestors in Northern Europe hung dried fruit from dead trees and prayed to the gods to send spring. It's freezing outside. It's dark. It's bitter. And if the church can make room for that in our calendar and how we celebrate the birth of Jesus, if we can make room for the darkness by lighting candles and singing songs about hope, then we can make room for whatever darkness you're carrying too. This is the season of hope. Today we lit the first candle of Advent, which traditionally symbolizes hope. And I think a lot of times we assume wrongly that hope is about being happy. That hope kind of rules out darkness. Hope is not the opposite of darkness, you guys. Hope implies darkness. It's in the darkness that we feel that yearning, that hope for a savior, that hope that things will get better and be okay. If you're in a dark place right now, don't try to hold it, or hide, don't try to hide it. Don't try to tuck it away. Be bold. Be bitter for a season if that's where you're at. The next time someone asks how you're doing, don't lie and say, I'm fine. Everything's good. Say, call me Mara. Right? Which might be a little weird. Um, but, you know. <laughs> call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Voice your complaint to God. Yell at God in your prayers if you need to. It's incredibly cathartic, and I promise you, God can take it. Let God know what you feel deep down. Let God know if you're hurting. Invite God into that darkness, and let us join you there as well. That's my invitation to all of us as we go into the season of Advent. To be real, to be honest with each other, to be bitter if that's where you're at right now, and to make this church a safe space for everyone, whatever darkness we're carrying with us. Because God is in all of it. God is working through all of it. And I really believe that God is calling us to be there with other people through all of it as well. Let's pray. God, this season can be such a hard time for those of us who are in a dark place. We pray for anyone who's struggling to find joy this Advent season, that you would flood them with love and support. And God, we pray that you would send us a rescuer. Send your Son into our midst, Lord, to bring light into our darkness. Help us to find hope and help us to find you there as well. We ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.